Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to the Loving Liberty broadcast and podcast. I have kind of mixed feelings today because, I look, I have some... I guess not bad news, but just I, I, there there are a few topics I want to broach today that uh, let's just say that they, they offer a pretty stark, you know, check on, on where we are at this point in uh, in our nation's, you know, destiny. It's not a good place. It's we, we are headed down a road that others before us have been down before. I'm talking different empires, different civilizations, and I I wouldn't shy away from Referring to the U.S. as an empire, as far as behavior, is probably the best gauge we can go by as to, you know, what someone really is all about, right? Talk is cheap, I guess is what I'm saying. We can all say the right words at the right time, but when it really comes down to it, talk is cheap. And the United States, for for the good that it has done throughout its existence, does not necessarily act as a force for good in much of the world today, and I know that's harsh. I, I get it. That's like, Brian, you're, you're questioning our national greatness. No, I don't question the greatness of this nation. What I question is whether what we think is the source of its greatness really is the source of its greatness, particularly as it applies to foreign policy. Now, you've heard the Washington Post has, has come out with um, the, the Afghanistan papers. I guess this is this is their generation's answer to the Vietnam Papers, which helped to bring the Vietnam conflict to a close when it was clear that, look, this is really serving no great interest to the American people. It's not making us freer. It's not making us more prosperous. It's just feeding the lives of our service members into a meat grinder to to send a message. Communism is not welcome, you know, in America. Or, I mean, you know, some variant of that. And I don't mean to I don't mean to sound like I told you so. I was much more opposed to the Iraq war, which I thought was absolutely just a, a complete war of choice and convenience. It was it, it just seemed like, no, our leaders want this. This is what they're going to get. I was much more outspoken about that one. Um, haven't said a whole lot supportive of the Afghanistan war, but I was suspicious. You know, the the need to go to war. Well, better we fight them over there. That just didn't pass the sniff test for me. Now, believe it or not, I have friends who are diehard veterans, and I don't, I don't know if I'm, I don't want to make it sound like they cheer any war that comes along. Some of them have seen war, and, and they know better than most what the reality of that word is. And frankly, they, uh, they appear to be the ones who are, are doing the best they can to keep us from getting into another mess whether domestically or, or abroad. But there are some people for whom, you know, it's, it was the, the adventure. It was, it was a challenge. And, you know, I, I, I can't make a judgment on their part. We all have our own conscience, okay? Everybody has to live with their conscience. I still think Leonard Reed's Conscience on the Battlefield is one of the greatest works you'll read. Whether It's, it's from the perspective of a, a soldier dying, and in his final moments of life, his conscience comes and has a conversation with him. And it's a very well-written piece, but it also 
strips away whatever pretense we might have hidden behind that, hey, if, if everybody just does this thing, it becomes the right thing to do. Whether that's kill those people over there, throw fire on them, drop bombs on them, whatever it may be. Put the economic sanctions on them. Prevent them from getting food or medicine or other things that might actually make their lives better. We let a ton of that stuff be done today that has nothing to do with protecting our God-given rights. That's the whole reason for which government exists, is to protect our rights, to keep us free, to put it more simply. Mostly it should do that by staying out of the way, but there are times when it should be willing to step forward and defend us. And I say this with, uh, you know, with all the respect that I can muster for those people who have gone and willingly served in Afghanistan or in Iraq or, or any of the other places where right now the U.S. military is is abroad searching for monsters to destroy. I think that these people have entered the service with good faith. I think they've done what was asked of them. But the leaders who put them in harm's way, the leaders who have sent them out to um, to experience humanity at its worst have no clear reason for doing so. Interestingly enough, uh, what was his name? Ted Rawl has a great article uh, about the Washington Post. You know, the Washington Post, like I say, is probably expecting accolades. I don't know. Maybe Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford can get together for one more movie and, you know, talk about how, oh, they exposed how the U.S. government lied about the Afghanistan war. I'm grateful they put the information out there, but... I agree with Ted Roll when he says the U.S. government could not have pulled off the Afghanistan war or the Iraq war, for that matter, without lapdogs like the Washington Post and most of the U.S. media. Now, look, I followed I followed the uh, anti-war. There's left and right on there, so it's you, you can't just say, well, it's only the, the hippies that are against war. I followed the anti-war, um, I'll just say crowd. I followed that school of thought for a while, and, and there were some really brilliant people in there uh, contributing. It's not, uh, you know, it's all, let's stick flowers down the barrels of the guns. It's there, there are people who are very principled and very good in getting the truth out there. But the majority of U.S. media is not among those people. And there were voices like Scott Ritter that were saying this is not necessary. And, and I want you to pay attention as, as the push for war with Iran or the push for war with Russia, you know, starts to go forward. Watch and see. Does the media dig in and ask the hard questions? Is this really justified? Is this something that's is this just policy by other means or. Do they just cheerlead basically repeat pentagon press releases well the pentagon has told us this and hey look we have a reporter embedded there (laughs) in return for our waving the flag a little more vigorously and you know knowing what we're supposed to believe i know it's an unpleasant truth i mean the words the words taste bad on my tongue but I would much rather face an unpleasant truth with the understanding that at least then we can admit, okay, so here's where we are. Where do we go from here? 
Because if we just keep playing along like, ah, oh, well, you know, this is the way things are supposed to be. This is this is how it was supposed to shake out. That's not true. And you don't have to reinvent the wheel to get things back on track. You just have to, to understand there are moral limits to government. You cannot allow power to simply be defined by what is legal and what isn't, because those who decide what's legal or not will continue to give themselves, they'll give themselves power as they need to. And you can see this at every possible level of government. It's been going on for a while. And so it's, you know, it's tough when you see stuff like this happening. One of the big questions that's come up over the years and, and, you know, September 11th, I, I admit, huge Watershed moment, maybe even a big turning point in American history. And we talk about Pearl Harbor after all these years, but, you know, 9-11, boy, somebody wanted our attention. Man, did they get it. It's also spawned some very interesting theories about, but how did this come about? And I want to share with you when we come back the other side of our break, I want to share with you some thoughts from Caitlin Johnstone, why she doesn't write about or spend time talking about. 9-11. And I, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, what, whatever she says, that's the reason I don't either. But she makes a very good case for sometimes you can you can get people thinking or get them looking in the right direction without trying to attack head on things that they deeply believe. And whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, the fact is a very, very clear majority of the American people by far. It is mainstream thought. That 9-11 went down just like the government says it did. 19 hijackers hijacked the planes, flew them into the buildings, blah, 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 Osama bin Laden. People aren't going to question that. I've watched people. I've watched it almost come to blows when people start having a discussion about, you know, the truth about 9-11. And, and I get it. Look, I, I when the truth, I, the truth burns a hole in my pocket, too. If I have if I have access to something that I feel like this is important, this is something that needs to be spoken. I will try to find whatever way I can to speak it. I mean, thank goodness I got a bit of an outlet here, right? Nonetheless, when we come back, I'll share some of Caitlin Johnstone's thoughts. And I don't know, maybe you'll draw something from it, maybe not. But none of us really knows for certain what happened on 9-11. We know parts of it. We could probably use that as a starting point. Welcome back to Loving Liberty. By the way, 801-331-8113. I've, I've opened the, the gates here by throwing out, uh, you know, the, the words 9-11. And, and that has kind of an interesting effect on people. For the, for the 9-11 truthers, it's like, woo, that's the call. Come, come testify, you know, how, you know, Israel and Mossad pulled this off. Or it was the U.S. government in conjunction with you know, whomever. I mean, it's, it was a big deal. And suffice it to say, there's a lot I don't know, but uh, I want to share with you a couple thoughts here from Caitlin Johnstone. 
And consider how she approaches this. She says, my position on 9-11 itself is pretty simple. I don't know exactly what happened on the 11th of September 2001. And she says, I think anyone who claims to know with absolute certainty exactly what happened is full of you know what. But she says it's also extremely obvious that the world was lied to about what happened by the U.S. government and its allies, as evidenced by massive, glaring plot holes in the official 9-11 narrative. Now, she actually recommends a, uh, it's a five-minute video by James Corbett, and it has accompanying source notes, and it's, uh, this was made, I, I believe, eight years ago on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, Caitlin Johnston says, she says, this is the strongest, most ir- irrefutable case against the official narrative. I've never even seen this one before. But she she puts it up there in her article. I'll have it linked to in the show notes. I strongly recommend whether you think it's, you know, this if you think that, uh, you know, 9-11 truth is so much you know bunk and hooey to quote uh, Joe Biden. I'd say at least just consider it. It doesn't mean that you must therefore reject everything that you knew before, but you might find that, wow, there's a couple of things that really do seem like big gaping holes. Because that's that's kind of where I stand, too, is I I really don't know what happened, but I don't believe the official version begins to give us a complete and and truthful recounting of, of what actually took place. So, you know, not telling you we should run down that rabbit hole there. But, you know, for some people, that's that's kind of where they want to go. All right. Let's open up the phones. 801-331-8113. Hi. Welcome to Loving Liberty. Yeah, Brian, Sam calling. Hello. And uh, I will say the same thing. I don't claim to know exactly what happened, but there is strong evidence to the point that we were definitely lied to. And by the way, that video that she is referencing in that article is an absolute good one. I've been following James Corbett for years, and um, he's one of those. I'll tell you what, if you ever get him on a show, he's a very interesting guest. The only problem is you ought to work through the time zones because he's in western Japan. Oh, my. But um, he's a Canadian that got transferred over there. brief story about him is uh, he went over there as an English teacher to teach English. While he was over there, unlike uh, here, I guess some of the apartments over there had readied Internet. And when he got online over there, he didn't have to pay for his Internet. So among one things he did online was start watching videos on different things and uh, started watching different videos that eventually woke him up to uh, the stuff that he covers now. But he's been around since 2007, so um, that's a, that is definitely a good video. But what I wanted to say about all this is that if you go back to the late 90s and the early 2000s, there were a lot of these high um, fluten officials in the Bush administration and again, I'm not saying whether Bush had anything to do with it or not. I mean, at minimum, whether he knew or whether he not, that's whether he didn't, that's a whole other question. But what I'm simply saying out of this whole thing is that when when that website was up back in the late 90s, they talked about how we needed another Pearl Harbor event to get us into the uh, situation that we're into over there in the Middle East now. And lo and behold, it just seems to be awful coincidental that in 2001, not too long after that stuff all came out on that website, that suddenly we had 9-11. Now, the other thing that's suspicious about 9-11 is that why, if, if everything was on the up and up, as they said, 
Okay. The official story is that Muslims flew planes into the buildings and that Muslims were the ones that brought the buildings down. That's the official story they want us to believe and that, uh, and that planes can truly knock over buildings and that kind of thing. Here's the problem with the whole thing, Brian, and that is the fact that um, uh, the, the issue that we have here is that we're supposed to believe that Muslims did this, but yet why are we losing all of our freedoms over 9-11? Because 9-11 is the chief excuse they used oh, yeah. as a means to crack down with the security state, okay? It changed everything in perpetuity. I mean, like, like we, can, right. we can never get better from this. The, the fabric of time and space itself was altered because of 9-11, or so the government would have us believe. Right. So my question is, if you believe the official story of 9-11, how do you explain all of that? Why would they have a reason if it was supposedly these foreign terrorists? Now, remember after that, we had this supposed war on terror, right? Okay. But what did they do? I mean, um, they, um, you know, they did some shock and awe stuff over in Iraq and a few places, and we're now buried in just about every place you can think of all over the world, which will bankrupt us eventually. And then, meantime, we're losing our freedoms here. We're becoming more and more of a police state every day. And what you should be asking out of this, no matter what version of the story you believe, is that you had nothing to do with 9-11. I had nothing to do with 9-11. Brian, you had nothing to do with 9-11 either. So why are we paying the price for these supposed Muslims, if we believe their, if we believe the story the government wants us to believe, why are we paying the price for these supposed Muslims that came over from the Middle East and supposedly, I use that term loosely, attacked the world, attacked the World Trade Towers? Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know. I mean, but look at look at this clear. look at this attack that just took place down in Pensacola um, a couple of days ago. Saudi yeah. nationals in the U.S. getting military training and, uh, you know, apparently went on a shooting spree. Now, I'm not saying that they they speak for all Saudi nationals, but I'm suggesting maybe our government's relationship with Saudi Arabia is um, kind of one of convenience. Yeah. Well, and then we had this other attack in New Jersey that was on a kosher food store up there, and we're supposed to believe that that was, I don't know, I, I'm getting mixed stories, but in response to it, Donald Trump comes up with this new law barring anti-Semitism in the colleges. That's an example of what I call emotional Johnny the Night Tripper law. Yep, yep, that's a perfect example. Somebody's got to do something. we got to do something, yep. anything. Well, don't, yep. don't do the wrong thing, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that just bothers me with how gullible people are. You know, you should be asking a lot of questions when all this stuff happens. You know, nobody wants to ask, for example, in these cases, Brian, with all these shootings, nobody ever wants to ask, okay, what kind of psych meds were they on? Because a lot of times you'll find if you look and investigate a lot of these mass shootings, I don't care where it is, usually nine times out of ten they're on some mind-altering drug. No, that's true. That, that caused them to get a skewed view of things and become paranoid and everything else. And, of course, first thing you know, bam, you know, and, and uh, there are a missile waiting to go off. And see here again, that's another issue, gun control. You know, just label everybody mentally ill and you got all the guns, and that's where I'm afraid we're headed with all this. Well, you never know when somebody just might pop, so we have to take the guns, you know. Folks, when are we going to quit this business of always being the ones to compromise out here. Just those of us out here, we're not bothering anybody. We're not hurting anybody. You know, I have my old saying here, there are those who want to be left alone and those who just won't leave them alone. Which one are you? 
Uh, I don't bother anybody, you know. So why should I be made to pay for all these crimes that come up that some misguided missile creates somewhere across the country? No, I, I agree. I think there are a lot of heads nodding in appreciation going, you're darn right. Yep, and, and that's simply are. where I'm coming from on all this, Brian. And with that, I will uh, let you run, and God bless, and take care, and uh, we'll listen to the rest of the show. Okay, thanks, Sam. Great to hear from you. 801-331-8113. Got to take a break here, but uh, when we come back, well, a couple things. I'll, I'll finish up a couple more thoughts here from Caitlin Johnstone. Also, I want to I want to make you aware that uh, Ammon Bundy's uh, latest edition of The Liberty Effect will be on at five o'clock Mountain Time this afternoon. It's a great one. If you followed the police shooting of the UPS truck that had been hijacked down in Florida, you want to hear this one. It's really worth it. Trusted voices of truth and insight. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. 801-331-8113 is our number. Once again, I just want to throw a quick plug in here for uh, Ammon Bundy. The uh, Liberty Effect with Ammon Bundy coming up at 5 o'clock this afternoon. You can also access it by going to LovingLiberty.net. There you'll find our podcast archives. It's so worth your time. I know a lot of people heard about or maybe saw a video of the, uh, I guess it was a couple of jewel thieves, a couple of jewel robbers who robbed a jewelry store and then commandeered a UPS van with the driver as hostage and were making their getaway from police in Florida. And uh, yeah, long story short, the van eventually was cornered in traffic. I think about 20 police officers, maybe it was 18 or somewhere between 18 and 20, opened fire on this uh, this truck right there in the middle of traffic. And I mean, yeah, it, it, probably 200 shots fired in the space of a few seconds with cars full of families and drivers and innocent people all around. The UPS driver was killed. A gentleman sitting in his car nearby was killed. Not by the robbers. They were killed by protective fire from police. So Ammon talks about this. I've, I kind of held back because it's, it's I, did, I guess I, I've held back because I'm waiting to see if there's anything more to come out about it. But what I saw was was so disturbing. I, I just I seriously want to collect myself before I try to comment on it because it, it just it it angers me to see that kind of disregard for for people, for lesser people, those who aren't in the employ of the state. Just sad, sad stuff. All right. Anyway, Ammon tr- gives it, I think, a very good take. I think you'll, you'll appreciate the larger lessons that can be drawn from that. Going to go back now for a moment to Caitlin Johnstone and 9-11. And I like the reason she gives here why she rarely mentions it except in passing. First, she says the narrative control battle has already been decisively won by the other side. The mainstream understanding is that anyone who talks about what really happened on 9-11 is a crazy crackpot who must not be listened to because the establishment narrative control campaign to discredit 
and demonize critical thinking on that subject succeeded many years ago. So that's one good reason. Secondly, she says, even if there was some way to show everyone in the Western world the truth of what happened on 9-11, the establishment propaganda machine would immediately go back to narrative management and manage the problem away. The operation would be blamed on rogue actors or maybe a few powerful establishment loyalists would face consequences. They'll probably not. And then be replaced with other establishment loyalists. And then the imperial propaganda machine would pace everyone into an understanding of why it's right and still necessary to support things the way they're being done right now under the U.S. centralized empire and its globe sprawling war machine. In other words, the status quo would march on essentially undisturbed. Which is a nice way of saying it because it's a waste of time at this point for most people. Not because they're stupid, not because they're evil, but simply because their minds are made up. They've been conditioned to believe that this is this is outside of the mainstream. If it's outside of the mainstream, it's, you know, it's got to be quackery. You're a kook. What they're forgetting is that occasionally the kooks are right. You got to be the kind of person who can sort out when they are and when they aren't. And for Caitlin Johnstone, she says, this is why I focus on attacking the establishment propaganda machine using clear, undeniable arguments against which people haven't been preemptively, preemptively prejudiced by narrative management campaigns in a way that people can verify independently for themselves. I get what she's doing. In fact, I want to believe in some small way it's what I'm doing along with a whole bunch of other people who do this kind of work as commentators, writers, podcasters, broadcasters. We're trying to speak the truth. We're trying to do it in ways that are are not only informative, but that catch people's attention to where they start to spot the holes in the in the armor so to speak, for themselves. They start to to see the holes in the narrative and realize there's a lot that we're not being told. Outright lies would be one thing, but it's it's interesting what drives a lot of the political ignorance and and, uh, the psychological or um, intellectual malnutrition, I should say, that that holds sway today. It's it's because we're we're living in a time of our, our... Our intellectual diet is deprived. We don't have well-rounded information coming to us. Doesn't mean everything that gets to us is the product of an agenda, but I think we could start with the understanding that somebody's competing for your allegiance. With every article you read, with every TV show you watch, something is asking for your allegiance. It's good to be in the habit of knowing who. Or what is asking for it? And it starts by recognizing the deceitful narratives out there. Uh, You can look at the conspiracy of silence, if you will, on things that the media just won't talk about. Things that politics will not bring up. I mean, think back on the, uh, the Democratic presidential candidates. How many were there? Dozens. All the debates they had. Did anybody at any time talk about the out-of-control federal spending. Now, to be fair, some of them did, but it was in the context of, I'm going to spend even more. (laughs) Those are rookie numbers, man. Watch me pump this thing up. That's how they're approaching it. They won't talk about monetary policy. They won't talk about 
How do you rein in debt that by every indication now is going to be intergenerational, handed on for, for generations yet to come without them ever having a say in it? Well, that's crackpot stuff. We shouldn't be thinking about that. Really? Why not? Seems to me there's a basic question of right and wrong that comes into play there. Why, why shouldn't we? Well, because it's inconvenient. Right. We might have to, some of us might have to change our minds or at least expand our thinking to realize, well, there's another way of looking at this. So I agree with Caitlin Johnstone in the sense that you can chase after the conspiracies, but there are more productive ways you could be spending your time. And there's enough happening in the open. It shouldn't be that hard to help other people see, help them recognize. You don't have to spoon feed it to them and tell them, ha, there it is. All of it. Plant those seeds. Help people see that, yeah, there's a lot that doesn't add up. Be the kind of person that they can trust and they can come to if they're looking for clarification. You're not telling people how to think. What you're trying to do is help them recognize that there's more to this than we've been told. And once they recognize that, Trust me, they will follow it on their own, depending on, you know, what their commitment to truth is. That's this is true for all of us. I think about one of the I'm assuming I learned this from Oliver DeMille. If he didn't say it, I'm going to credit him with saying it just because it's a great saying. And I think he's he's a great individual. But uh, it's, it's something along the lines like this. Great leaders do not create. Followers, they create more leaders. And so if we're looking for solutions, there's, there's the place I would say that's where we have to start. And I know firsthand what it's like for people who, you know, suddenly make the realization, you know, there's something more I could be doing with my life. You know, besides going to work, collecting a paycheck, buying stuff, you know, accumulating toys or whatever it is, you know, that makes life worthwhile. What if there was something higher, if there was a higher use for whatever I've been, you know, given, whatever I've been blessed with, whatever I've I've built or earned or developed. I know people hate it when you point it out to them. Because if for some reason they think that uh, it might make it, yeah, actually I've kind of been feeling that. That's that means change is going to come. And it's rare that change comes that there isn't, you know, some discomfort and some hardship and sometimes it just sucks. But thank goodness for the people who have have done this. Larry Reed, I think, is one of these individuals. He's coming to town. He's speaking actually uh, two days from now. He'll be speaking on Saturday morning at Liberty Hall. Ten o'clock in the morning. There is no charge to attend. But I will tell you that uh, the space is limited. And and I wouldn't be surprised with with someone of Larry's caliber. I think we, we may be standing room only. He's such a great man. And if, if you haven't had a chance to hear him speak, I would invite you. Whatever you're out doing, you know, Christmas-related or otherwise, come and stop by Liberty Hall, just north of Ogden. I'll, I'll have the... Uh, you can go to the Loving Liberty Facebook page. You can go to the Loving Liberty uh, website, lovingliberty.net. Or, if you're so inclined, uh, um, stick around. I'll, I'll grab the address for you, and, and I can share that with you as well. I would encourage you, though, if you have the time or the interest, come hear Larry speak. At the very least... You're going to have a chance to encounter one of the one of the people who has has 
created a lot of leaders through his efforts over the last 50 years. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Loving Liberty, 801-331-8113. Yes, I, I saw the cover of Time Magazine, although I had to laugh at the uh, Babylon Bee headline. Time Magazine surprised to find that it's still in publication. <laughs> I don't know. Greta Thunberg is the person of the year. I, I wish I could say I was surprised, but no. If it, it, And if it wasn't her, it would have been, I don't know, some other social justice cause. You know, this is, what can I say? You know, it's this is a young girl who I say this with with all the love in my heart has not contributed anything meaningful to climate debate. Now, I know she's endeared herself to a lot of people. Oh, look at her. She's boycotting school and sailing the world in a carbon free way to spread the message. And she scolded everybody at the U.N. Boy, did she ever. But I don't think she has. I don't think she's changed a thing. And it's so interesting to me to see Time Magazine step up and say, but we're going to make her the poster child. This is this was among the most important things that happened this year. Remember, I was talking about the narrative, you know, looking. Why would somebody want me to believe that a child scolding us about something in which she has done nothing and has accomplished nothing um, is, is somehow good? This is worth celebrating. And I can only imagine it's because there are people who will eat this up. Oh, look at her. She's so brave. Look at that. And again, it, I know it sounds like, well, you're talking down Greta Thunberg. I'm just saying for whatever great qualities this young lady has, being the spokesmodel who saved planet Earth environmentally, it's a little soon to start giving her these credentials. OK, it's and and frankly, the the idea that we can solve climate problems with more money and more control over my life. Yeah, I'm a little skeptical about that as well. I think one of the things that uh, this illustrates is that the people who are truly innovative, the ones who have actually, you know, done something that was substantive, measurably making things better, they they get passed by. Why? Because they don't serve as the poster child for this cause or that cause. And and what I'm suggesting here is the people who are holding Greta Thunberg up as a prop, shame on them. They're hiding behind an autistic young woman who, you know, is she's a prop for them. No matter how she feels, you know, no matter what what her her personal feelings are. I feel pretty safe in saying there are people with much more uh, far reaching goals and, and much more powerful aims than what Greta Thunberg is is advocating, who are using her because they know we can use her to advance our cause. My friend Connor Boyack had pointed out uh, that, you know, you want to talk about a kid who deserves some recognition for doing something. He talks about a Dutch student by the name of Boyan Slot, who at the age of 18, a few years ago, invented a method to use oceanic currents to clean plastic from the world's oceans. This is an issue, in case you didn't know. I mean, there's a, there is a Texas-sized ocean or an island of, of plastic out there in the ocean, in the Pacific. So this young man dropped out of the aerospace engineering program at the uh, TU Delft, one of the top tech and engineering universities in the world, and he founded the nonprofit 
Ocean Cleanup, the Ocean Cleanup, TOC. TOC is so far having success in their cleanup efforts, bringing about actual change in the healing and protection of our planet. And Connor asks, why wasn't SLAT ever awarded Time's Distinguished Honor? And his answer is, he says, I I believe a lot of people, especially in the media, are more interested in theatrics and outrage than they are in actual progress and solutions. So take it with a grain of salt. But that's that's. Yeah, she's she's the person of the year. So was Stalin back in 1938. I'm not saying that she's Stalin. I'm just saying Time magazine, you know, they like to be edgy. As a medium that's disappearing, the the, uh, print periodicals, maybe that's something they need. I came across another article. This landed in my inbox earlier today from Jacob Hornberger. And because sometimes we have a tough time getting on the same page with the same words, capitalism, socialism, free trade, uh, you know, free, um, free enterprise, these don't always mean the same thing to the same people. So when Hornberger says free trade equals liberty, peace, prosperity, and harmony, I'm thinking he's probably got a pretty good explanation up his sleeve. Listen to what he has to say. He says the largest free trade zone in history is the United States. Every day, people are free to carry or ship goods and services from one state to another and one city to another. There are no government officials at the border monitoring or controlling what goods and services cross the borders. There are no customs agents at the borders collecting taxes. States and cities do not wage trade wars against each other. Nobody paces the floor worrying about the trade deficits between states and cities. Now, it didn't have to be that way. If the framers had vested in the state and local governments the power to control and regulate trade, Americans would be living under the same type of system in which they live internationally. Each state would be imposing protective tariffs to protect inside the state businesses. There'd be trade wars between the states and cities. Mainstream economic commentators would be sleepless with anxiety over the trade deficits between states and localities. Now, Jacob Hornberger says free trade within the several states and localities is one of the major reasons why the United States has always been so much more prosperous than other countries. That's because people raise their standards of living through the simple act of trade. And it's because in every trade, both sides benefit. That's because each of the traders is giving up something he values less for something he values more. So suppose John has 10 apples and Mary has 10 oranges, and they agree to a trade in which John gives up one apple in exchange for seven of Mary's oranges. Now he asks the question, has John won? Has he taken advantage of Mary? Well, the answer is both sides have won. And neither side has exploited the other. They both have voluntarily given up something they value less for something they value more. By trading, they've each improved their own economic well-being through their own subjective valuations. He says, therefore, any government restriction, tax, tariff, or control that interferes with the ability of people to trade freely necessarily harms people's standard of living. That's why trade wars are so harmful in and of themselves. More important, free trade is consistent with the principles of liberty. Under principles of private property, which forms the foundation of a free society, people have the right to do whatever they want with their own money and property. So if John wants to buy oranges from Maria in Mexico rather than from Mary in the United States, that's his right. His money belongs to him, not to government, 
and not to society. Moreover, he says, trade nurtures natural harmony and dependencies among people, thereby reducing the potential for conflicts and wars. As someone once noted, when goods don't cross borders, soldiers will. Conversely, when goods are crossing borders in both directions, the interdependencies and the friendships make it more politically difficult for government officials to initiate war against the other nation. He says among the best things America could ever do to is extend its free trade zone to encompass the entire world. That would mean unilateral free trade, no negotiations, no trade agreements, just drop all tariffs and trade restrictions and end all trade wars. Now he asks the question here, would other nations follow? The answer is they might and might not. That's irrelevant. What matters is that the American people would be liberated by their own government to trade anywhere in the world. Unilateral free trade would immediately head our nation and, by example, the world in the direction of liberty, peace, prosperity, and harmony. Now, I know that's going to provoke some pretty strong disagreement, at least on the part of folks who are like, we need a border fence and we need it right now. I understand that with our current welfare state, the uh, the giant government bird feeder, that we have definitely seen, uh, you know, it's been an attractant to people who want to come here and, and get on the welfare train. But I would hope we can at least allow for the fact that uh, there are also people coming here for the, the purpose of working and not just working. I mean, I've I've watched some of the people who have done this come to America, taken jobs that other people weren't that eager to take, and then worked their tails off. Now, granted, they did it without government permission. And I know that we're supposed to be scared to death of all the terrorists and drug smugglers and human slavers and, you know, the, the, the sex pirates out there trying to, you know, to go out there and kidnap people and, and sell them into sex slavery. Yes, there are people who who do try to take advantage of those situations. But closing the border off to the honest folks who just want to come and work just the same way that you would want to go work in another state. Take a plane, take a bus, whatever. Go do your job, get paid and return home. That's how difficult it should be. And except for the big, uh, you know, welfare state bird feeder. Yeah, that thing, that thing needs to be dismantled for a lot more reasons other than, well, all the Mexicans are coming up here and taking advantage of it. There's a lot of good homegrown Americans taking advantage of it, too. That's not right either. All right, we've got to take a quick break. We do have another hour of the show straight ahead. Stay with us. This is Loving Liberty. Timely, credible, thoughtful discussion. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. 